What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> Well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is the seven foot, three hundred and thirty pound DNA of TNA. That's right, my DNA is outer space, and you're listening to the two man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our friends over at the Mountain Man Beard Products. Mountain Man Beard Products is making the best beard products on the market, and you're going to hear all about them from the guy with the best beard on this show, and that is the one and only John Paz, and you will hear that a little bit later on, and if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by the man himself, John Paz. And John, we are absolutely ecstatic to be joined today by the one and only 
innovator of violence, the hardcore icon, the one and only Tommy Dreamer joins the two-man power trip of wrestling today, first to promote the big show at Primal Conflict Wrestling's Night to Remember 10 on November 19th in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. You can head to Primal Conflict Wrestling. Dot com for more information on a night to remember 10 where Tommy Dreamer will make his PCW debut and he joins a pretty good line of ECW alumni who have wrestled in PCW especially in the last year but Tommy Dreamer is always a guy that manages to stay in the spotlight so to speak of professional wrestling of course we all know that he's got the hugely successful House of Hardcore promotion which is really starting to a global domination just heading over into Australia this past summer, starting to move across the country, starting on the East Coast and moving uh, out west, down in the southwest, down into Texas. They're going to Wisconsin. They're really an all-over-the-map promotion. And if you think about it today, which is October 28th, 2016, today is the actual anniversary of Tommy Dreamer's first ever professional match. And he will mention that in the interview. But the thing that I think is ironic about that is you talk about the independent scene and Tommy Dreamer makes a great comparison to being a guy who started his career on the indies. And it looks like he's going to end his career on the indies. But John, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Tommy Dreamer and the independent scene and just how I don't know if we've seen the best coming yet out of Tommy Dreamer but with House of Hardcore and coming down to PCW that there is so much for him to do that obviously uh, maybe the best is still yet to come yes Chad back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling and boy do we have a, a tremendous show lined up today and Boy, this was a great one. This was quite possibly one of our best. Yes, that is the innovator of violence himself, the heart and soul of ECW, Tommy a Dreamer. Chad, this was a really, really fun episode. I felt like any topic we went into, any question we asked, he just came back at us with just an awesome answer. Something really, really good, and we just really just loved having him on. It was really cool. At the end of the interview, he basically said, you know, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, which is true, or he doesn't like to do a lot of interviews. But we had some great questions, and he really enjoyed the interview. So that's something that uh, I'll always cherish and I'll always stick with. And I said, man, that's pretty damn cool to get quite a compliment from the man himself, Tommy Dreamer. So that's uh, another awesome aspect of this interview. But, you know, as I digress and kind of get into the meat and potatoes of things here, what we kind of had him on for is promoting the big show down in West Virginia for Primal Conflict Wrestling, PCW, on November 19th. So Tommy is the big, you know, the big uh, draw for the show, as he should be, and it's going to be a night to remember, as it is a night to remember 10 for PCW. So it's really cool to have him there, and it's really cool to get his thoughts on the indie scene and kind of what he thinks of it today. And if you think about it, with House of Hardcore being one of the top indie promotions today and him being the owner and the founder, he's right at home on in the indie scene. And like he says in the interview, he got started on the indie scene, so that's pretty pretty cool. And he got started in a great indie environment with a lot of legendary names. I'm not going to get into all that, but think about 
why he's in independent wrestling right now and why he's stuck with House of Hardcore, he turned down a WWE contract, and not a lot of people can say that and, you know, come out of it and come out of kind of the other side of it looking uh, all roses, as they say. So it's pretty damn cool that he's been able to basically turn down a WWE contract and then turn it into one hell of a run with House of Hardcore and a great run on the indie scene because... I mean, he's been wrestling like crazy, and it's not like uh, he's half-assing it. If you watch him, he's going full bore, 100%, and he's putting on one hell of a show. So it's pretty awesome that he's out there on the independent scene, and I just love that he turned down that WWE deal. Yeah, he definitely did get offered that WWE deal, and he's very open about discussing the fact that he did turn down the WWE deal to operate House of Hardcore, which you definitely got to respect because he has taken that and made it such a, a cult hit amongst wrestling fans that really do want to see a very hard smash mouth uh, wrestling promotion, which has its, you know, kind of nod to ECW, but it's also got a very healthy mix of current stars, guys that can still go, and a real good crop of talent that just every night they go out, they put on a uh, no politics, no BS, no ego show, and it really, it just translates very well with the audience, and uh, I think you definitely see the passion, and the passion that is in Tommy Dreamer has always been kind of that quote, hardcore nature of uh, those guys that came out of ECW. And I think one of the things that we can really kind of pinpoint about this interview is that Tommy is, uh, he's no, he's not shy about talking about ECW. You think some guys might want to move on from it, but he really does embrace that love for ECW and that ECW was his life and will be his legacy forever because it's going to be chanted uh, till the end of time, no matter what promotion you go to. Somebody goes through a, ch a table, they're chanting ECW, and that's never going to stop. But it's that label, that, that word, that hardcore that I think some people kind of lose what the hardcore you know staple means or what it means to have that attached to your name is hardcore uh, a state of the business is hardcore uh, a a style in the business but John I'm going to throw that question to you what is hardcore and we all know Cactus Jack said he's hardcore he's hardcore Tommy Dreamer he's hardcore but what is it that hardcore really is yeah, Chad, hardcore. Of course, we had to mention hardcore when you're talking about an ECW legend, the heart and soul of ECW like Tommy Dreamer. But hardcore doesn't quite mean what you think it does. Hardcore, yes, you know, we know what the term is. We've heard it a million times. It's almost been beaten to death in, in some respects. But hardcore, as Tommy would say, isn't necessarily hardcore. Yes, Tommy Dreamer was hardcore. But hardcore isn't all about the blood, the guts, the gore, and the weapons. Hardcore is more of a state of mind and the way you conduct yourself within the wrestling business. Tommy has an awesome story on why he's hardcore, why he's always been hardcore, and what it really, really means to be hardcore. It's more of a, a mindset. It's more the way you do things. It's not necessarily a weapons match or, or bleeding or anything like that. So I thought that was a really, really cool aspect of the interview, and he had some great things to say about what hardcore truly means to him and how he really is hardcore. Because you know in WWE they kind of 
throw it all around hardcore hardcore and they throw it around they throw ecw saying they were so hardcore and and so on and so forth but i loved you know really getting down with tommy and talking about what hardcore truly truly means to not only him but what the term hardcore really means he's definitely hardcore and he really is one of a kind because he took some of the most insane punishment that I think anybody had ever witnessed in ECW. I mean, this is a guy who really had his testicles ruptured from a, uh, a cane shot. He's wrestled in barbed wire. He's gone through tables. I mean, he got chokeslammed by Brian Lee through a huge stack of tables uh, that you just close your eyes and you see him just plummeting from the top of the Eagle's Nest down to the bottom there with the ECW arena just in shock and awe at what this guy put his body through. And it's just it's such a great testament to him that he's still going at it uh, just as, uh, quote, hard as he had always been. Uh, you know, from years before he uh, made it to the WWE after ECW closed through back uh, on the indie scene, going to TNA and then back on the indie scene again. And now here we are, but this interview would not be complete without talking about one thing. And John, we got to hit it before we get on over to the interview. And that is talk a little bit about the ECW legacy of the innovator of violence, Tommy dreamer. No Tommy dreamer interview would be complete without talking about the ECW and his legacy with ECW. I mean, man, think about him there from the beginning, there to the end, played a major role behind the scenes for many, many years, and there was a lot of stuff that he was in charge of or that he took care of that a lot of people watching on TV may have not have been necessarily aware of. So that was a great part of the interview as well. And, of course, you know, you're talking to Tommy, you got to talk about ECW and his feuds that he had and just think about the amazing legacy and the amazing run he had in ECW, the Raven feud, my God, two to three year feud. He basically got one win out of it, but it was so remembered, such a legendary feud, and it was almost the uh, the heartbeat of ECW for a while was that feud and kind of everything wrapped around it, the characters that came out of that feud. So that's one of the most memorable feuds of all time. Obviously the big time Sandman feud that he had that basically turned him from a pretty boy to the Tommy Dreamer, the hardcore icon that we all know and love. Then you throw in some underrated feuds like his feud with Justin Credible that put uh, Justin on the map, his feud with C.W. Anderson that really put C.W. Anderson on the map. I mean, I can kind of go on all day with these great feuds, but... I feel like he was so good at, at putting all these guys over that it's crazy to think that, wow, he was so popular and so over with the fans, but he probably had, and we discussed this in an interview, probably had a losing record. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a funny little thing, but it just goes to show you what a worker he is, the psychology of him, his selling, his storytelling, that you can kind of you know keep on losing, kind of be that lovable loser, but still be so over with the fans and so believable with the fans. And he was so good at putting other guys over. He just made everyone into a star, you know. He was definitely the heart and soul of ECW. He was pretty funny that he was basically a reluctant ECW World Heavyweight Champion. Everyone remembers him as the Innovator of Violence, which is just a perfect nickname for him. It's quite a great nickname for him. And what we kind of were discussing chat with him was how he's kind of like the, the new Tommy Dreamer. 
Uh, excuse me, not the new Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer is the new Terry Funk, so to speak. Sorry, it's good up a little bit there, but yeah, Dreamer is now the new Terry Funk, and we definitely touched on that in the interview. He kind of says that's a little too high a praise for him, but think about dreamer and his whole run in ecw think about funk and funk's whole run not only ecw but kind of what he meant to tommy's career and look at tommy now so it's almost like his ecw legacy led to what he's doing now with house of hardcore and now he's kind of like that father figure that godfather type that that leader role that terry funk once was in ecw so you just put it all together the ecw stuff talking about what hardcore means, talking about House of Hardcore, talking about PCW, and this Tommy Dreamer interview is definitely one of our best, without a shadow of a doubt. That is such a great comparison to compare what Terry Funk did for ECW in those formative years of the promotion to what Tommy Dreamer is doing now with the young talent out on the indie scene. And as he tours these different entities and he sees all the talent out there, it's only going to make House of Hardcore better in the long run. And you've got two gigantic supporters of House of Hardcore here in the two-man power trip, both John Paz and myself. Been around those House of Hardcore shows, been had had the ability to be uh, somewhat backstage, kind of around while the rings are getting set up, and you see the vibe, and you see what it's like, and the people are just, they're all happy, and they're ready to put on a great show, and that is why Tommy Dreamer is one of the top promoters going right now in professional wrestling, and if you can get down to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, on November 19th for a night room to remember 10 brought to you by primal conflict wrestling you are going to want to meet tommy dreamer you're going to want to see him in the big the big tag team match he has teaming with doug delicious as they head into action but definitely go to primalconflictwrestling.com for more information on the night to remember 10 and of course we want to thank tommy dreamer for his time and i hope I sincerely hope you enjoy this interview as yet another ECW icon is added to the lasting vault of the two-man power trip. And John, with all that being said, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. Tell them about Mountain Man beer products and get it on over to the innovator of violence, the one and only Tommy Dreamer. Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by our new sponsor, Mountain Man Beard Products, where they remind you, no beard is too tough to tame. Keep your beard looking clean, soft, and sexy while keeping you looking good. Head over to mountainmanbeard.org. You can buy some beard starter kits, some soaps, beard butter, and oils of many flavors, including... Hunter's Choice, and my favorite, good old apple pie. Also check out some combs, mustache, savers, some hats, and many more products. So head over to mountainmanbeard.org, and while you're there, check out the Mountain Ninja. Mountain Man Beard. Real beard products for real men. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube where you will find the latest and greatest clips from our show. Also, please subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, please check out the feed for prior legendary episodes with the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Stan the Lariat Hansen, WWE's lead attorney Jerry McDivitt, 
the phenomenal AJ Styles, the Lunatic Fringe, Dean Ambrose, the Demon Kane, and so, so, so many others. Also, please check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. While you're there, please check out the events page. See if the two-man power trip and one of our friends is coming to your town. So please check that out and check out the events page. Also, while you're surfing the net, check out wrestlinginc.com. That is wrestlinginc.com. They are the greatest wrestling news site in the world. So you got to check them out. Also, Check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com. You can check out our page on there. You can check out Tito Santana, Kevin Thorne, Paul Orndorff, Buff Bagwell, and so many others. And for any of you Android users out there, please check us out on Player FM. And now, without any further ado, a former ECW World Heavyweight Champion. He was the heart and soul of ECW, and now he is the owner and founder of House of Hardcore. He is the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. Please enjoy. outside the mountains of West Virginia on November 19th as part of PCW's Night to Remember 10. He is a man who is quite simply known as the innovator of violence. He was the heartbeat of ECW, and now he's carrying on a legacy with his own promotion, the House of Hardcore, and slowly but surely dominating worldwide. He is the one and only Tommy Dreamer. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you very much, and I owe you $10 for that nice introduction. <laughs> hey, what can I say? I uh, I can work for free, so whatever you need me for, you can keep the 10 bucks. I'll just do whatever you need for free. Absolutely. So, talking about the big show coming up, Night to Remember 10, Primal Conflict Wrestling. It'll be your debut for Primal Conflict, but they are no stranger to the ECW originals, having a plethora of ECW originals come in, like Shane Douglas and C.W. Anderson, guys that you know a lot about. But what does it mean now that you're promoting your own shows with House of Hardcore, but getting to see some of the other talents from independent promotions? And I know you travel all over the place, but now coming down to Primal Conflict's neck of the woods. Uh, it's great for me, uh, specifically I talk about, I just worked, uh, I worked for this past Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I saw a lot of um, men and women that, I never would have probably seen before. Uh, that's what I do still love about working the indies, as well as, you know what, my career started on the indies, and I, you know, most people know I recently turned down WWE, and my career will end on the indies, and I'm very, very, I'm okay with that. Um, I get to see 
I always say if Tommy Dreamer started today, I couldn't become a success because I can't go to a performance center and, you know, learn how to, uh, you need to learn in this business by doing it in front of live audiences and not in a gym, uh, you know, or with, you know, trainers and not knocking the developmental system. But that's where you really do shine. And when I get to work these live events and I get to see wrestlers uh, in their element and, you know, some in their own hometown or an audience that knows them, I really get to see them without any handcuffs, limitations, or borders, and, and I really do enjoy that, and that's a big reason why, too, I get to, you know, enjoy working a lot of these indies on top of, you know, doing myself, uh, my own company, because then I get to replenish my own company when a lot of other talent uh, move on to either NXT or, you know, WWE. And obviously, we know you know your history being part of talent relations, and now, of course, you know having your own promotion with House of Hardcore, and being you know one of the main attractions on an independent show. When somebody comes up to you and asks you, "Hey, Tommy, can you watch my match?" or "Hey, can you kind of give me a critique on this?" Which hat do you put on? Do you keep the wrestler hat on? Do you put on the guy behind the promotion, or do you go right into the executive mode and kind of give them? the uh you know the skinny on what maybe the bigger promotions look like or well what's your like what's your train of thought when you're going to give somebody advice on what a match is supposed to look like uh excellent question i uh, kind of go from every point of view one will always be from a worker uh wrestler then it'll go from hey this is kind of what wwe is looking for uh and this is what you need to improve upon and i've used this analogy a lot um, if, if you look at professional baseball, Clayton Kershaw is the highest paid and best pitcher in baseball, two MVPs. And I tell people all the time, Clayton Kershaw does not throw a perfect game every single time he goes out. He does not throw a no-hitter every time he goes out. Guess what? People actually, uh, he throws balls, people get hits, and he also loses. And But he has a catcher, he has a pitching coach, he has a bullpen coach, he has a head coach, and they all like tell him little, little things critiques to try to make him better and he is still the best at what he does so with that moving forward you know when I came from the original ECW a lot of guys like myself but I was blessed because I'd come back through that curtain and I would have Paul Heyman, Terry Funk, Mick Foley, sometimes Kevin Sullivan all helping me become better and how do you not become better when you have an all-star lineup of people trying to help you so that doesn't happen a lot on the indies. So I just try to give them that perspective. Yeah, and that's, I mean, a great perspective. And it's somebody that, you know, if I was a worker and I saw you were going to be on the card, I would be kind of waiting, uh, you know, like a little giddy school child, waiting for you to come through the door so I could pick your brain because you did get to learn from some of the, the greatest minds in the history of the business, some people that, you know, like you just mentioned a couple, like a Terry Funk or a Kevin Sullivan and Paul Heyman, that these guys – kind of helped redefine a different era of not only just uh, professional wrestling, but what a character or a personality could be like. But now with you getting onto the independent scene and now you're the, the owner, the promoter of House of Hardcore, do you ever keep that keen eye looking for talent still? Is that something that, I know not to cherry pick an individual, but when you go into a show, do you go thinking, I might find the next breakout guy for House of Hardcore, or does it kind of organically just kind of come to you saying, like, maybe down the road when this guy gets a little more polished, he'd be on my radar? 
Uh, no. Um, I like to. There's this one kid that uh, I saw on an independent show in uh, Iowa, and uh, he came to the ring on the hoverboard, and he wrestles on a hoverboard. I thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And he said, I'd love to come work for you, and I used him at my last two shows. I'm going to use him again in Milwaukee, and I'm going to use him again in my next two uh, shows on... Uh, when's my next shows? December 3rd is Milwaukee. December 16th is back at the arena, and December 17th is in Joppa, Maryland. And, uh, you know, he's just somebody who I feel has it. And, uh, you know, but there's also guys that I've known for years, like uh, Mr. Excellence, Brandon Scott. Uh, he's kind of from that area. I'm using him on my Maryland show. I mean, I've been blessed to kind of, I've helped a lot of people follow their dreams in the business, and I really do like spotting talent. And, you know, there's certain it factors and or guys and girls who are good wrestlers, of course, you want to use. It only makes your company better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've, we've luckily had the opportunity to kind of hang around some of your uh, your shows and, you know, kind of see how the inner workings go and to see the vibe that you create backstage. And everybody's very friendly. Everybody's very happy to be around one another. And to see the shows that you just came off of in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and the buzz that was coming from them and now going back to Philadelphia, coming into Maryland, and even dominating, uh, what were, were you in uh, Australia not too long ago, in Texas? I mean, House of Hardcore is now slowly just making their way across the world. Is this what you envision right out of the gate, or are you kind of at where you, know, you want to be in terms of how long you've had House of Hardcore for so far? Um, <clears throat> I always say, uh, you know, it's been four years since I had my first show, but I only did one show. Uh, that first year, and then I did two shows the next year. So I only feel I've been in business for two years. But, yes, it has definitely caught momentum and uh, captured a lot of buzz uh, all over we go, and I love that. You know, uh, I noticed I had something when I went to Toronto. I had a little television deal which with the Fight Network, and, you know, I set the attendance record up at the Ted Reeve Arena. And then, you know, when we went to Australia... I literally announced that House of Hardcore was coming and then one match and we sold it out. So these are some two really, really cool things and the arena's always been special to me. That's almost like a guarantee. And uh <clears throat> but then there's expanding to new markets has always been better and it's you know, it's the evolution for me and for my company. I'm happy where we're at. You could always do better. And you know what? I just watched back the last two shows and I saw where I need to make improvements, and this October 28th will be 27 years in the wrestling business for me, and uh, I'm still learning, and I'm still wanting to progress, so that's cool for me because the day I feel I can't learn or I know everything, guess what? I need to leave it because you don't know everything, and everything is a learning process. Definitely well said. And with House of Hardcore, it's crazy to see where it was and where it is now. Can you kind of, like when you started it, did you envision it being, you know, what it is today and it growing basically so quickly to what you, you know, what you have right now? No. Um, but I've always been from the mindset, you got to uh, crawl before you can walk, walk before you can run, and run before you can fly. I've passed the crawling stage, and I'm in the running stage. Um, I could never have pictured 
I only wanted to do one show, and it worked out really, really well. So then it's, okay, we'll do another. And then it just kept on, you know, spiraling. And uh, as long as I don't lose money, I'm going to keep on doing it. That's, you know, my biggest thing. And um, excuse me, I'm choking on food while I'm talking to you. I haven't had dinner yet. But um, it's also, I, I learned a lot from my time with ECW, my time with WWE running the developmental system, learning from all the mistakes. And to be even more honest, uh, seeing a lot of mistakes that people make on independent shows and you know, we are, now it's a different time, it's a different era, especially with social media. Social media has changed the face of television, not only, you know, the face of pro wrestling. And uh, it's very, very easy to learn from mistakes of the past. And we are not curing cancer or splitting the atom. It's professional wrestling. And, you know, it's a form of entertainment and a form of, you know, me. The for me, it's the best form of entertainment. And it's a way to, I use it as an escape outlet and some of my greatest memories of my own personal life revolve around professional wrestling, and that's kind of just what I want the fans to see, not only when they leave my own show or, or when they, you know, come see me wrestle on an independent show, like I will when I'm I'm down there. I I work really, really hard still because that's the work ethic that has been given to me from, you know, my days of ECW and someone hit me up on Twitter recently about, you know, hardcore and blood and guts. And I was just like, that was just what WWE put out there to sell DVDs and such. It has nothing to hardcore as a work ethic. It's putting everything you have into a match. And, you know, uh, as most of you people or people who listen to your show know, I got to witness on a weekly basis some of the best memories as a performer as well as a fan, you know, I'd go and wrestle a match, and then I'd get to sit back and watch Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero wrestle or watch Rey Mysterio and Psychosis wrestle. There was no blood. There was no tables. There was no chairs. It was hardcore wrestling. You know, I got to watch the beginning of Chris Jericho, who was great from day one, uh, a guy who had a chip on his shoulder from getting fired from WCW named Stone Cold Steve Austin or, or Mick Foley saying no to WCW for a lot more money to come and pretty much repay his dues in ECW and cut his best promos ever. And Mick is friggin' phenomenal on the microphone. So, you know, I, I want to give that back and I want to give back to, I look at that as a team. And when I put together my shows, I want the fans to have the greatest experience. And I want, uh, I, I use it as a team, a championship team. And every single night I'm going to win the world series or I'm going to win, uh, the World Series or uh, Super Bowl. So, you know, it's great. You you talking about giving back and kind of you know you're using what you learned forward. But you know we've had um, you were friendly relationships obviously with uh, Kevin Thorne, Kevin Furtick. We were very friendly with uh, Justin Incredible, PJ, and we've even interviewed AJ Styles. And it's funny they all say the same thing about you. You're almost like the Godfather figure, a guy that <laughs> they go to for advice and kind of like, hey, what should I do here? And a lot of them mention psychology. They go for psychology. So what is it like being in like kind of like the godfather role? Uh, honored that guys say that. But, you know, uh, I'm, for Kevin and for for uh, Justin Credible, I did have a, a big hand in their careers. AJ was always, and I hate to use the term, phenomenal. But when, hmm. you know, AJ... 
he is amazing. And I remember when I went to TNA, he was probably one of the first wrestlers that I was only nervous wrestling for two wrestlers. One was The Undertaker, the other one was AJ Styles because I knew just how great he was. And I had left WWE and I didn't want the fan. I had a, I had a chip on my shoulder and I had something to prove, but I knew he was better than me and I didn't want the fans to be like, oh, AJ Styles has to slow down to keep up with Tommy Dreamer. I want to be like, man, look at Dreamer keeping up with, you know, keeping up with AJ Styles or motivating AJ Styles. And him and I clicked from day one in the ring and uh, we just became, you know, awesome friends. And I, I couldn't be prouder for AJ Styles. And, uh, but, you know, that's a great uh, compliment and uh, it's cool that you said it. Um but though you know, same with Justin Credible, I just had to give Justin Credible confidence because I was once where Justin Credible was, where I was begging and trying to get over with the fans. And you know, when he came to ECW, I pretty much took him under my wing to get him over because I just saw his talent. And same with Kevin Thorne. Kevin Thorne is a big, big dude. He's I, he just worked my last two shows. As soon as he came back, I was like, man, you're moving better than ever. And uh, you know. A lot of times when you come back from WWE, they don't tell you anything or just, eh, good job. That You don't need just that good job. You know, you need that It's positive reinforcement. Or if you do do something wrong, we're grown men. You don't need to yell at people or chastise people. It's, you know, I look again, everything from a sports mentality. If I'm a coach, I hand you the ball, you score a touchdown, I love you. You fumble, I don't love you, but <laughs> I won't uh, fire you. I won't. I will continue to give you opportunities until you fumble all the time and say, listen, bro, i got to replace you or i got to trade you. But, you know, you stick with your guys because they're your guys. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, well said. And it's great with AJ because everyone thought of him as, you know, he's working fast, he works too fast. And then it seems like, you know, he started working with you and he really started focusing on selling and kind of the storytelling aspect. Like, obviously, he's always great, always great athlete. But is that something you'd like to preach to your guys, slow it down and maybe, you know, have a little bit more storytelling, a little bit more selling? No. um, Just having everything mean more. And, you know, I don't think I helped AJ as much, uh, you know, again, this is the first time I'm hearing this and I think it's awesome. But, you know, AJ always had it. And you're only as good as your opponents. And he made me the best ever. But just a little simple storytelling and little, little things that, you know, he and I did in a short period of time was just amazing. And he's one of those guys that he goes out there and throws a perfect game every time he performs. And, you know, uh, it's awesome. Uh, I'm a big, you look at him, he could tear it down with Dean Ambrose. He can show the frustration when he loses to James Ellisworth. He, you know, again, I hate to say, but he is, He's phenomenal. He's one of the best, and I love love his success, love him as a person, and love watching him work. I'm a big fan of his work. So everything he does is great, and there's no wasted motion. He's definitely unbelievable, a great talent. But if I could just rewind it a little bit back, because we were talking about ECW, and you know, we are talking a little bit about Heyman and your days there. What was it like when you first started there? Because I always thought this was funny. You had like a, a pretty boy gimmick. So what was it like transitioning in front of that crowd to be something, you know, the Tommy Dreamer we all know and love now, but from the pretty boy 
to the you know the the heart and soul of ECW. It wasn't a pretty boy gimmick. It was true. I was handsome. Damn it. <laughs> um, it. It was funny just because you know it was the '90s, and I thought that's what I had to become to make it. And Paul Heyman helped me out a lot. Taz helped me out a lot. The the caning thing was we just kind of fell into it because that was a real deal that happened uh, with a kid in Singapore who was going to get caned and it became national news. So Paul was like, loser of the match gets caned. It was Taz who said, when I was struggling to get over, the people liked my wrestling, but they couldn't get over my gorgeous looks, which is absurd. <laughs> but uh, did you think I want to look like this? No, I don't. But um, So it was Taz who told Paulie, hey, man, I used to... Uh, Drop him on his head. He is tough. He, You just got to show his toughness, and that's what he did. But that was the beauty of ECW. Uh, there was another guy who wore a wetsuit and was a surfer, and his name was the Sandman. And <laughs> people really didn't care that much about him, but we saw him in the back. I can remember it like it was yesterday. He was sitting in his underwear, and he was drinking a beer, smoking cigarettes in the back, telling jokes and we said, that's what you need to put on television. And that's what we put on television, minus being in his underwear. And it, it worked. So, and, and for me, uh, Paul did a lot. And uh, Raven really helped Tommy Dreamer take it to the next level. And it was Terry Funk who straight up said, be yourself. No one can tell you how to be you. And he also told me to grow a goatee because it will make me look tougher. And when I become his age, it'll hide a double chin. And he is now right because I am his age and um, I have a beard because I have three chins. So he was a Nostradamus of pro wrestling at Dairy Funk. <laughs> what a wise man. See, he's always teaching lessons to you. That's great. And it's funny, he's kind of followed you throughout most of your career. If you think about it, early days, ECW. And then he was on a House of Hardcore show in Philly not too long ago. So what's it been like? with Terry all these years and, and him being able to come out that last House Hardcore show and, uh, you know, cut a really emotional promo. Besides the fact that he can always make me cry, um, you think about the contributions of Terry Funk, besides for myself, you know, I really view him and Mick Foley as my mentors and, you know, Paul Heyman. But Terry really took me under his wing and uh, always is there for me. And he's just... He's an amazing, amazing man. And when I talked to him after that show, I told him, we started talking about like what, how, exactly what I said, and he remembered exactly word for word what he told me when I was trying to get over. And I was like, here's a 70-something-year-old man in not the best of health, and he still remembers. He still watches the business. I talked to him, you know, every <clears throat> two weeks just to check in on him. And... uh He's, he'll watch the business, he's so in tune, and, you know, he'll probably have another 10 more retirements, but, you know, <laughs> this business would not be the business that it it was and is without Terry Funk. Uh, he was the one who told Hulk Hogan to call Vince. He, you know, found Ted DiBiase. He was the first person to give Bob Backlund a break and saw something in Bob Backlund. He found Stan Hansen. He found so many people where if you re, if you look into and start seeing like 
the great wrestlers, how they emerge, they'll all have a Terry Funk story. I'm reading Jack Briscoe's book, and Jack Briscoe says, oh, and then I met Terry Funk, and Terry Funk took me under his wing, and I was just like, holy crap. And, and I called him, that. I was like, I mean, NWA, I mean, not NWA, between NWA and WWF title reigns you're responsible for, like years of wrestling. And he's just like, oh, it's okay, you know, no, he's Stan was a good guy, and, you know, Jack Briscoe's a great guy, and that's just Terry Funk. But, you know, for for him, like we're talking about full circle, he was in a locker room, and he saw Bob Backlund, and he walked up to Bob Backlund just because of his body, and he was like, man, you got a great body. Back then, there wasn't a lot of great bodies. And he was like, give me your number. And then when there was an opening up in Amarillo, he booked Bob Backlund. And then that's where Bob Backlund started to get a push. Amazing, you know? Hmm. And also, Dan Hansen was a football player at West Texas State. He helped train him, blah, 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 helped give him a little bit of spots, told him what to do here and there, and that's Stan Hansen. Same with Ted DiBiase. So it's just really, really cool for him to always be there for me. Definitely, and then also the uh, Bret Hart connection as well. As uh, Bret spent some time down there in Amarillo, and then obviously one of his many retirements, Bret wrestled him in, in his quote-unquote swan song. Mm-hmm. So, so many cool... I was there, as well as the Dennis Stanfels and books that they all took place down there. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Can't forget about Dennis Stanfels. Oh, my God, that was... You know what a wrestling fan I am? Uh, so great. But with Terry and you almost kind of taking that Terry, I feel like anyway, now I feel like you've kind of taken that Terry Funk role as far as being that leader, that veteran, that guy that gives, you know, a lot of guys breaks, you know, telling guys what to do, almost giving them, you know, a little bit of a, a you know, information maybe that they wouldn't have known, like I mentioned with AJ or with PJ or, or with Kevin. So is that kind of a weird role for you that you almost kind of like, taking Terry's role in, in in a way? No, and no one could take Terry's role. If I could just pass along uh, what he's taught me as well as, you know, my as a kid growing up, my favorite wrestler, and then getting to hang out with Dusty Rhodes, another man who uh, helped so many. And that's what this business is about to me. And it's just, it's an honor to do it where, you know, even House of Hardcore, I am one and twenty in my own company. I have heat with the ownership because I never win. But it's giving back to the business as well as giving back to your fans. And that was instilled, you know, by me and that's what I kinda wanna keep on doing. <clears throat> you feel like even over the years in ECW you didn't get a lot of wins, but you were always over with the crowd. Is that just goes to show you kind of wins and losses aren't aren't as important as kind of more the character? Is is that kind of how Yeah, and they weren't important back then. Uh they're important when you're in WWE for a lot of different reasons. Uh but a guy can go out there, let's the probably the M V P of Monday Night Raw is uh Chris Jericho. I don't remember the last time he won. And hmm. any great worker can come out of a losing situation and be a winner. And, you know, Chris Jericho, top of his game, I always say age is just a number. And Chris Jericho is one of those guys definitely proving it. And when the list is more over than a heavyweight title, I think that says something. 
that is a great, great point. And it's funny, you know, you were saying kind of getting no wins in a long time. The Raven-Dreamer feud, you never got any wins, but it's crazy that a feud was that over and the one guy never got, except for obviously the one-time Russell Blues in 97. But was that kind of, you know, you're thinking of it, I, I'm not going to get any wins, but I'm going to get this thing over? Because Raven had such a long winning streak against you, but such a strong two-year-plus you. Yeah, no, it was three years. Um, three years, yeah. It was, uh, that was, I'd love to steal. Uh, it's Paul Heyman, not me. And, you know, Paul gave us a lot of creative freedom in the original ECW, so that's how that all worked out. And uh, <clears throat> we were always able to build for it, and if he thought we were going too wild with Zany, he would reel us back in. But also so many amazing characters came out of that, and so how could you not just continue how great that is, you know, going to be. Because, you know, from there we we saw Stevie Richards emerge. We had Beulah. We had Francine. We had the Pitbulls. We had Brian Lee. Uh, so many people have, you know, emerged from that feud that went on to bigger and better things. So it was a, it was a great time. Yeah, you talk about that era of ECW, that night, basically 95, 96, 97, yeah, I mean, somebody like John or myself, we're talking pre-teen into late teen, thinking watching ECW was quite possibly the coolest thing you could do if you were watching uh, any kind of professional wrestling at the time. And we look at 20 years have passed since the uh, infamous Mind Games incident where you guys were in the front row, and the next night Taz is running through with a sign, and then a couple months later you guys are on Monday Night Raw, but we recently spoke with Ray Mysterio Jr., and he mentioned how ECW still to this day crosses over into other promotions and that Lucha Underground and the Temple have an ECW arena-like feel. And I don't know how much Lucha Underground you've been able to see, but for somebody like Ray Mysterio to come out and say that, I think that there's got to be a little bit of truth to that, but, you know, still referencing back to the ECW arena, you know, what I don't think anybody would have ever thought 20 years past, but do you see that comparison with what the fans do out there in the temple? Uh, unfortunately, I don't get the uh, El Rey network. I watched the first season, and then my provider stopped carrying it, so I have not seen it progress. I could totally see it um, happening, and if Ray says it because Ray was a part of it, uh, something special, and I know Matt Stryker has talked about it, which is cool because a lot of times you'll get, you know, with us, you'll get the same fans. With them, I know fans have to do something so they get reserved seating and they order, like, the same tickets over and over, which is cool. Um, for ECW, we got to see the attendances. We, you, you got to see every week our houses grow. You got to see the company grow like your own child from infancy to, you know, packing places, pay-per-views, all that stuff. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, every time I go back to the ECW arena, you have that vibe uh, for myself, and I'm sure when I go out there and work for, uh, what is it, Primal Conflict, uh, Primal the Conflict, fans yeah. will the fans will always chant ECW. It's my, it's my legacy. I'm so proud of it. And for, yes, them to be talking about it 20 years later, because we did everything different and we did everything shocking. And I'm totally crazy, but I have, and I'm going to post it one day on my Facebook page, I have a huge analysis of how ECW was a precursor to The Walking Dead. And 
people will talk about the Walking Dead television show for years because it's so good. And they did a lot of things that we did with shock value and amazing long storylines and keeping every character pure to itself. And when, you know, who are the bad guys, who are the good guys, at times we split it where you didn't see stuff coming. You know, I, I could relate that to when the whole season they were looking for that little girl and then she wound up being in the barn as a zombie. And I sat there watching and cried. And if you think about that psychology-wise, they turned the biggest bad guy babyface. With They turned the zombies, you know, babyface. And, and stuff like that was, was so groundbreaking, and that's why ECW was be forever revered no matter, you know, even though, you know, we're still, I want to say, WWE's uh, redheaded stepchild or bastard son because, you know, they'll still play everything else uh, or promote more stuff than they do have still to this day, even when they own it, of, uh, you know, WCW, uh, everything else outside of ECW. But that's okay because we still have that underground feel to it, and we always will. I'm actually now, as you said that, going through my head, picking out the seasons and picking out every ECW character and trying to figure out who would match up to who. But I got to ask, if I could ask for a spoiler on that list, my God, who is Paul Heyman? Because there's a couple guys that I could kind of handpick that could fit the Paul Heyman mold. For a while, he was Herschel. And uh, also, they had the same hairstyle. Um <laughs> He, I have this whole thing, and it's the use of the strength of women, Uh, the shock value when people would leave, basically they get killed uh, off the show. For myself, uh, Rick, the cop, uh, he was a normal dude putting in insane, extreme circumstances, but at the end of the day, he always does the right thing. so many things you got to see the you know the metamorphosis of these characters and how they've changed and uh it's just i do i mean i watch everything through a wrestling eye not just an ecwi but i when they for us between paul Heyman and myself and we did not when the fans could not think we could shock you enough we would shock you you know the w's are leaving and they're going to WWE and the people are, you know, chanting, you know, thank you, please don't go. We switch the titles there in shock. Then Bubba says we're going to lay these down at the the altar of Vince McMahon. Boo, they're hating him, they're throwing stuff. Here comes Raven, uh, Raven DT, Tommy Dreamer and Raven are now the tag team champions. And the people totally forget about the Dudleys and now we have these two guys who used to be... uh, friends, I mean, used to be enemies and now they have to coexist. You know, that to me was uh, the first two seasons when uh, the one guy came back and his wife was with somebody else and uh, they had to deal with all that stuff. It's just I can look at anything through wrestling and ECW eyes, but those conflicting stories and the amazing stuff that you see is you know, to me what makes it so, so special. Plus the amount of blood and, you know, 
gore, fighting with weapons, and just different stuff was we what we had to do to survive. And you think about there's so much crazy, scary stuff, and but why Walking Dead is just so popular is just because just like ECW, when you think they're going one way, they just totally go, nope, we're going another, or they're going to shock you. You know, we we did the first ever lesbian kiss in wrestling. We never even showed the kiss, and we got kicked off of every every television station we're on, and we didn't show the kiss. And Crazy hmm. Paulie was, when he fought with the the networks, he was like, we didn't, we didn't uh, show the kiss. We freezed it right before they kissed. And, like, you implied, you know, homosexuality and lesbianism. If you think about it, if that happened today, we would probably be the most talked about uh, show that if we got kicked off because of, you know, the the prejudice towards an angle that we did, you know. Uh, we did a pregnancy angle, the first one uh, in wrestling. You know, they did that in Walking Dead. Come on now. Don't let me get started. I It's going to be a lot of hits on the face. <laughs> I could... I could both thank you uh, for for that angle and uh, also uh, go off on you for about an hour for the freeze of that uh, non-completion of that <laughs> angle, but that's that's a different story for a different day. Absolutely. <laughs> I just gotta say, who who would Negan be, especially if you, if you saw the episode uh, from a couple of days? I have ago. not seen it. Shut up. Um, okay. I'm not gonna say anything. All right, I won't say anything. There, there's there's just a lot of. Uh, a lot of just characters that you have watched them being from scared, meek little people coming in to, you know, crazy-ass fighters and, and, you know, fighting for survival. We were fighting for survival all the time. And, uh, you know, it, it just, I see that correlation in a heartbeat. But again, I'm crazy, so that's why I see things like that. <laughs> but you we're guys right. are seeing it too, so my yeah, craziness right is wearing you. off yeah. on you. Yep. Yep, I almost see Negan as a, uh, a Sandman, almost with the, with the cane now. I can almost see, or, or something like that with the, the baseball bat. I can kind of see the right. correlation there. But uh, uh, I viewed Sandman as the uh, the guy. Man, I forgot his name. He was what's his name's brother, and uh, I remember he had to cut off his own arm to escape. Oh, Merle, Merle. Yeah, because he started off as a bad guy, and then you actually wound yep. up liking him. He was an alcoholic. There you oh, go. Yeah. There's my Sandman analysis. Wow, look at you putting it together. Yeah, you're right. Okay, it makes sense. <laughs> but as we uh, as we start to wind it down a bit here, this is kind of a generic question, but I'm always so curious, especially a guy like you. Like you said, he's coming up on 27 years in the business. Is it possible that you have like a favorite match or maybe a couple of favorite matches that you just look back upon and just you know kind of just sit there and smile like, I'm glad I was a part of that match? I have been a part. I want to say more so with shows from the original ECW. Uh, I will go back and watch, or people will send me, uh, even today, someone posted, uh, it was actually Paulie posted a video of uh, the Beulah McGillicuddy Crush video, and I just watched that video, and I was like, wow, if you look at, here's a woman who stood by her man no matter what, put her body on the line and, you know, besides that video just being totally hot for the day, <clears throat> when I look at, you know, because I also worked in the studio with Paul and you get to see stuff like that or I just put on my Twitter, you know, Brian Lee chokeslamming off, off of the balcony and uh, it, it's just like, I'm like, wow, look, look what I did 
and or for me, it, it's my own house of hardcore shows at the end when I see people, you know, clapping and being very, very happy or just just different stuff. It, it really is for for me. I've been blessed to work with some of the best as well as be part of, like, amazing angles and stuff. And it's always seems to be progressing for me. 2005, when I wrote ECW One Night Stand for WWE, and at the end of that, if you ever want to see the most, the happiest I've ever been was Sandman's entrance. And to me, that was like how ECW should have been. And at the end, I was on. I had been burnt. Uh, the doctor said I may lose my ear due to uh, being hit so hard, and I was laying there on the floor, drenched in blood, covered in blood, could barely see, and the I was so happy, which is insane, but there's just different moments. Uh, then to follow it up the next year, I really loved me and Terry Funk versus Mick Foley and Edge. Uh, you know, I've I've been blessed in this business. I really have. Or or to go back and my last arena show, myself and Matt Hardy, I thought was awesome. I just watched it, uh, finished doing all the editing and putting in uh, the the what you call it, uh, the commentary, all that stuff, and, and watching that or, or watching Sammy Callahan and Ricochet frigging kill each other and have an amazing match or when I've used the Young Bucks or Sammy Callahan and Rhino from my first show and then literally 20 matches later having Sammy Callahan versus Rhino in the rematch and watching them tear it up in Pittsburgh is just what I do. I love about this business. I feel like so many memories, you know, of House Hardcore, but there's so many good things to come. But, you know, with you and you're saying, you know, Matt Hardy and there's a couple really good matches or really good opponents you had, I feel like, you know, Raven was an awesome opponent of yours. There's there's so many guys, even like we mentioned before, just incredible. So many good wrestlers you wrestle, so many guys you're able to have good chemistry with. But I feel like, you know, or or was there an opponent or maybe a couple opponents that were kind of went under the radar, kind of like a guy that was just totally underrated that you worked with that people kind of just – you know, they almost didn't give them their due, but, you know, looking back, they're one of the most underrated guys that you worked with. Um, I can't say he's underrated, but uh, Christian is one of the best of all time. And, uh, you know, he kind of falls in the slash tag team or the shadow of Edge, and I've wrestled both of them, and they're both great. <clears throat> uh, Bubba is an amazing wrestler. He's an amazing oh, he's an amazing babyface and he's an amazing heel and him and I have always had chemistry. Uh, Matt Hardy, the way he stepped up and has totally changed himself. But yeah, I mean, they're, underrated would be someone like C.W. Anderson who I felt never got his due in the wrestling business. Uh, just incredible. At one point was friggin' phenomenal. And I wish, you know, he would have went further. But you can't have uh, regrets. I I had one match with Chris Jericho, and it was on Monday Night Raw. 
it was two segments, and I just said, man, I wish I could have a feud with him or 20 minutes with him. And then when he came in the back, he was like, dude, that was so great. Or even, I can't get, it's hard to say underrated because when guys, you know, are in this business, but uh, me and Hurricane, we only had like a handful of matches, and like we were like, man, they're so good. Or underrated Stevie Richards. Stevie Richards, night after night, he could be a, and used in WWE, one night he'd be a good guy. Next night he'd be a bad guy. And as much as you get people to love him, as much as you get people to hate him. And, you know, I would say people like that were better than me because I've never been a heel. And it was, you know, to, to do something like that, it, it's how great they truly are. Well, Steve would probably be the most underrated because he was still in, and still goes out there and has great matches, still out there in great shape. Bob Holly's another one. I just had him on my shows. He's 50-something years old. He's in better shape than me, and which isn't hard to do. But he's just goes out there, and him and Sammy Callahan beat the living crap out of each other. But And Bubba was at my show, and he was like, I can't believe how hard Bob Holly's working and how intense Sammy Callahan was. And it's just that is magical, and that I still love watching. EC3 is another guy who's underrated. Or I can't say Rhino, but Rhino. Rhino is amazing. You know, you think about all these guys you just mentioned, like uh, like Bubba Ray, who has had over the last five years one of the most impressive turns into a single star and then to go back to WWE, have another run as a, as a exemplary tag team wrestler. And you got a guy like Rhino, currently back with WWE, a co-holder of the Tag Team Championship. you got a guy like Stevie Richards, who's doing what he does with the DDP yoga stuff, and he's, he's so technologically sound and inclined and always looking at different uh, technological advancements. And you see ECW always, like I said at the beginning, it goes back to ECW, and you see all these guys have been around House of Hardcore as well. But as we look at your legacy and what you did in both ECW and what you're doing for House of Hardcore, is there a reinvention of the innovator of violence left in you? Or when we close the book on the legacy of Tommy Dreamer, what is it that the wrestling fans are going to think of? I would just like people to think of me as a guy who gave it his all every time he could. He was a fan. He was just like them. And if I said it before, if I died tomorrow, I'd be okay. in the sense of I've lived my dream. I continue to live my dream. I'm super thankful for it. And just want to remember, be remembered as a guy who worked very, very hard doing something that he loved. And that's why the fans and the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling will get on out to Primal Conflict Wrestling if they are in the Primal Conflict Wrestling listening area and come see Tommy Dreamer on November 19th at a night to remember 10 and that is going to be one hell of a night. But, Tommy, if we can, before we let you go, please give all the fans and listeners of the two-man power trip all the information where they can find everything about House of Hardcore as well as where they can see the innovator of violence coming to their neck of the woods. I'm very active on social media. Twitter is The Tommy Dreamer. Instagram is The Tommy Dreamer. Facebook is The Tommy Dreamer. And there's a lot of fake Tommy Dreamers on Facebook. And some are even more popular than the real one, but the Tommy Dreamer is me on Facebook. And for all your House of Hardcore needs, houseofhardcore.net. 
And uh, that's really it. I look forward to seeing you guys in uh, November. And then if you, your fans want to come out in December 17th and take a little bit of a drive to Joppa, Maryland, they're going to see an amazing show there. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.